Welcome. Good morning. Happy Easter. He is risen. Let's stand together and worship and sing. Of resurrection life 
Thank you, Father. You've given us a reason to get up and worship the resurrection of Jesus in one fell swoop. You changed everything. Thank you, Father. We recognize your power, your authority over us, and we worship you today. In Jesus' name we pray. And a happy Easter from Kid Street as well. If there's any other children in the congregation who want to come down to the steps for the children's message, he is risen. That's how we celebrate Easter, right? We just sang a couple songs about the risen Savior, right? A lot of the times when we celebrate a holiday, we give gifts, right? Has anybody had a birthday recently? Did you get something for your birthday? Did you open up presents? Yeah. Do you remember Christmas? Did you open up presents at Christmas? Yeah. Even a holiday like Halloween, do you go trick-or-treating? You go to trunk-or-treat? Do you get candy? Yeah. Well, I've got the best present. It's for Easter. You want to know what's in it? Anybody have an idea? You want to take the lid off? Pull the lid right off. It's the greatest gift I've ever seen. Look at that. Isn't that awesome? What is that? Nothing. What's inside? It's just air. That's the greatest gift ever. You know what that represents? Jesus' tomb. Jesus' tomb, right? They woke up Easter Sunday. And they checked Jesus' tomb, and his body wasn't there. He had risen. He didn't stay dead. He defeated death for us so that we could live with him forever. That's better than a Christmas gift. That's better than Halloween candy. That's better than a birthday present. That's eternal life with God. That's the best gift we could ever be given on Easter Sunday. All right, so I'm going to give you an egg. A lot of people sat down next to an egg. It had something in it, right? Some of us went to egg hunts that have stuff inside. I'm going to give you the best egg ever. Just pick a color, right? And this will help you remember the best gift you could ever get, right? What's inside of it? Nothing. Nothing. Okay, so hopefully when you go back to your seats, you can get an egg with something in it, but this is a special one. All right, take that down there, Annika, and pass that around to people down there that can't reach. All right? So why don't you bow with me, and then we'll pray and thank God for the best gift ever. Dear Lord, we thank you for your son Jesus, for his life, his death, and his resurrection that we celebrate today that we can live free from sin forever with you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand as we continue to worship together this morning and celebrate our risen Savior on this beautiful Easter Sunday.
resurrection you broke the bands of death and rose from the grave as a conqueror you reconciled heaven and earth our life had no hope of eternal happiness before you redeemed us your resurrection has washed away our sins restored our innocence and brought us joy how awesome is the tenderness of your love amen
blood poured out for us the weight of every curse upon him one final breath he gave as heaven looked away the son of god was laid in darkness Bibles with you this morning, if you would. Luke 24. Luke chapter 24. I was watching the news early this morning. They were talking about people going to Easter sunrise services and how meaningful it can be, and some of you have been to those. One sticks out in my memory. 
when I was about nine or ten years old, I remember of a church in Excelsior Springs, and the local golf pro was the chairman of deacons. So that year, they were going to uh, plan this wonderful Easter sunrise service on the on hole one of the local golf course, which was a beautiful place. And if you've ever been there, you know, golf courses are just beautiful, hilly places. The grass is perfect. And, of course, it was all done up just right for Easter. So, and this was a long time ago, so... Women were dressed in their finery with the hair piled high, and you remember how they used to do that. And everybody had their coat and tie, including kids like myself. And I was probably 12. We were all there in the middle of this service, and it was just wonderful. And the preacher was waxing eloquent. He was from the deep south, had a great accent, was talking about Jesus. And then all of a sudden, in the middle of Jesus, the sprinklers kicked on. And the local golf pro had forgotten to turn that little detail off. And in seconds, I don't know if you've ever been there, but in those sprinklers, they don't just sprinkle. They have a torrential downpour. And hair fell terribly that day. And makeup ran, and everybody whined and cried for a few minutes. And then we stood around and looked at each other, and we had a great laugh. And that's my most memorable Easter sunrise service, and probably theirs too. And... uh, Clarence, the local golf pro, laughed about that for decades to come because that's the one that everyone will remember. Well, we're not going to do anything like that today, and I'm sure you're helpful. You're thankful for that. But what we're going to do today is talk about the rest of this story, Jesus. Every week, we talk about Jesus' life. Every week, we talk about his miracles, his teachings. We are encouraged every week. We read Scripture We hear words of encouragement from Jesus. We hear teachings of faith from Jesus. And then last week, if you remember, it all ended. And today we're going to hear the rest of the story. Would you bow with me in prayer, please? Father, we thank you this morning for your presence. Again, Father, we have a reason to worship, a reason to get up early, a reason to come out, a reason to sing and shout. Jesus is alive. Thank you, Father. It could not be done. No one would have done it. You did the unthinkable in your son, Jesus. You saw the problem. You acted in human history to fix it. And you made it happen, Father, by the exercise of your great power. Your son sacrificed himself. He paid the price for our sin. And then, Father, you brought him back from the dead. Thank you. We ask this morning you be with us in worship. Teach us. More importantly, encourage us in this faith. Save us from ourselves and our sin. We ask, Father, that this message would not only move within us, but would move within the spirits of this world. Father, just as in your day, in our day, people are bound for hell, and we know that. We see our culture. We see our people struggling with the sin that has been sin for centuries. We hate each other. We fight each other. We kill each other. We ignore those in need. We confess this as sin, Father. We ask for mercy. We ask for the cleansing that can only come from Jesus. We ask, Father, that you save us 
And just like Jesus, you raise us too to new life. As always, we pray for our soldiers and first responders. Take care of them. Use them to bring healing powers in their situations. We pray for those that are in positions of power. Give them a sense of justice, a sense of peace, a willingness to compromise and work together. Lord, we need your help. It is obvious that we cannot do this on our own. We thank you for this life. We thank you for the promise of new life and your spirit within. Be with us now, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Growing up, I listened to Paul Harvey. Anybody? Remember his rest of the story? Those that are my age and older all know that. Some of you have never heard of it before, and I'm sorry that it's no longer on air. Paul Harvey was a good guy, commentator, newsman, whatever, and talked a lot about very common sense things, very traditional in many ways. Had this program, and many of you will remember this, where he would start talking about events in history. Sometimes it was something that you would recognize. A lot of times it was something out of a dusty history book. And it would always captivate us. And he would tell us this story. And he would catch you hanging. And then he would stop. And then he would say, and now you're going to hear the rest of the story. And then he would say that after he told that end, he would say that, and now you know the rest of the story. The rest of the story was always the end. It was the way things really happened, and it taught a moral truth, taught some kind of truth that sometimes we forget. So today we're going to do that just a little bit, and I'm not Paul Harvey, of course, But the story that we started last week ended like this, and I'll just read this from John 19. When Jesus, therefore, had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Follow along with me, if you would, in Luke chapter 24. I'll read the first 11 verses. Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 11. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened that while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling apparel. And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again? And they remembered his words and returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now they were Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James, also the other with them, with them telling these things to the apostles. And these words appeared to them as nonsense And they would not believe them. So what we see is just just an hour or two out of human history. That's all it was. The crucifixion lasted hours and days. The whole process did. But this resurrection thing, well, it happened and it was over before most people were even moving around. It was one of those events where God moved in history 
totally unexpected for almost everyone. Jesus had talked about things. He had used veiled references. He talked about the Son of Man rising the third day. But Jesus said so many things that were couched in vague language or historical terms, and a lot of times people didn't catch it. What happened this day was the rest of the story, wasn't it? It was not only the moral to the story is, but it really was the whole point of the story. The point of the story wasn't just Jesus had died on the cross. That was miracle enough. You think about what that was. That was the incarnation of God, God coming as man in the flesh, offering himself up, coming as a helpful infant, taking this risk. He could have sinned. He could have failed. He could have fallen. But Jesus stepped up. And in this simple act of resurrection, simple for us to read about anyway, God changed everything. Interestingly, it was a surprise, as I said. The women, like I said, they they had heard Jesus talk about it. In fact, as one time Jesus said that the Son of Man would die and be buried, and he would come back the third day. He said that. But the Son of Man was a reference to somebody in history. And even in those days, people fussed about who the Son of Man really was. Was he Messiah? Was he a prophet? They didn't know. So when Jesus used Son of Man referring to himself, they weren't sure. And by the way, people don't come back from the dead, do they? So when Jesus said, he shall rise again, it couldn't have been what he said. They said, well, I know that's what he said, but that's not what he meant. You know, we have those conversations. Well, that's not what I meant, even though that's what I said. When Jesus said the Son of Man would come back from the dead after three days, he meant that. But they didn't grasp it. Because no one comes back from the dead. In that culture, when you died at the hands of the Romans, there was no doubt you were dead the romans were very efficient in making sure someone was dead joseph of arimathea being a wealthy man had a tomb that was unused so he asked for the body of jesus there wasn't much time they gave him the body they didn't care the romans surely didn't want it they just threw it on the heap typically he took it and he buried it no fanfare no embalming nothing like that so what happened was Early Sunday morning, three days later, the women got up early. They said, we've got to take care of Jesus. They expected to find a sealed tomb and a dead body. Now, interestingly, they didn't make plans on how to roll away the stone. They just got excited and wanted to do the only thing they knew to do for Jesus, dress him, prepare him for death. And they didn't make any preparations at all other than gathering the spices and the claws necessary. They expected to go to this tomb in the dark of the early morning and struggle somehow, maybe find someone to help them roll away the stone. And they would go in and they would care for the body of Jesus. And in those cultures, it was an elaborate process. They would wrap him in claws and and rub spices over him. And they were oily and wet and things like that. And it would harden and it would keep the smell away. And this was their way of saying, Jesus, we loved you. That was their last act of devotion. That's all they expected. And then they got there, and and the stone was already away, and the tomb was empty. And then on top of all those things, they saw these two gentlemen glowing, as it were. And they said, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He isn't here, for he has risen. 
And then in their mind, the moment those angels said, He is risen, it clicked. Oh, the rest of the story. Smart people put things together. The moment they were told Jesus was alive, it all made sense. That's the rest of the story, isn't it? When all these things build up and build up and you still don't get it, and then somebody says something, an event happens, and all of a sudden you get it. You go, oh, the rest of the story. Jesus was alive. This was a huge thing. No one comes back from the dead. And now here we are, 2,000 years later, talking about an event in history that was isolated really to just a very small group of people. A few women, the disciples, and then later a few hundred at one point, several appearances of Jesus, and then the ascension. A question. How many of you... Show of hands, find yourself sitting around after supper talking about ancient history. Does anybody? Once in a while, yeah, Bob does probably, and Carolyn's going again, you know, and, uh, you know, sometimes we do that, but usually ancient history is just that. It's ancient history. And no matter how important it was 2,000 years ago or even farther back, it, do it really doesn't matter anymore because it doesn't affect us. But here we are talking 2,000 years later about what? A simple event 2,000 years ago, an event that didn't involve huge numbers of people, didn't even make the press. And here we are, talking about this rest of the story that changed everything. We say that history changes things, and sometimes it's hard to see that. But in this event, history changes everything, doesn't it? It changes who you are. It changes our culture. It changes the way we think and feel. It changes the way we look to the future. It changes the way we face our own deaths. And it even changes the way we think about the dead, doesn't it? When I think about my dad, I don't think of him laying in the grave. I think about him in heaven, walking around whistling. My dad was a whistler. You know, that was an ancient art. He's whistling some kind of tune. Dinking around, piddling on an old car, something like that. You know, we have these images of heaven. I don't really know what it's like. I only do that, and I can only do that because of what Jesus has done on the cross. And the rest of the story, resurrection, changes everything. So when we look at this story, there are two or three things we can learn. And I know I'm on a time limit and all those kinds of things. To experience God at work, and you see this on screen, to experience God at work requires your time. Now, what I mean by that, God works in spite of you, and you will miss it if you're not paying attention. God invites you to be a part of His work for the kingdom. God invites you to work for the future. God invites you to allow Him to work in your life. But he never forces you to do anything. You know what happens if you don't do anything? God goes on his way and does what he will. And you miss out. Jesus is going to come back that morning, regardless of whether the women got up or not. Whether or not they came to address him for the grave was irrelevant. It was going to happen. In fact, is Jesus was already gone. The resurrection had already happened. But because those women got up out of bed, hustled around spent the money, got the stuff together, and hustled over there to the tomb. 
They were part of the greatest event in history, weren't they? You see, it took time on their part. It took devotion. They didn't know what to do. They, didn't, they knew they couldn't fix anything, but they wanted to do something out of devotion and faith. So in their way of expressing love for Jesus, they were allowed to be a part of something wonderful. You have to get up to be a part of the way God works. For a lot of times, for so many situations, it's very inconvenient. I've been a pastor over 40 years now, and seldom have I been called to an emergency while I'm at the office. It's always late at night. It's always inconvenient. Several years ago, I was in a ministry in Rolla, Missouri. I was there for 20 years, and for some reason, I received many calls over the years of people contemplating suicide. I mean, literally dozens of calls. I never received one during office hours. Never. It was always one or two in the morning when things had quieted, when the TV was off, and families were asleep, and there was desperation in someone's room. And then they would call. This was in the day before cell phones, and I couldn't just put it off. And I learned the hard way never to ignore it. I would answer that call. I would close the door to the room so my family wouldn't be awakened. And I would almost always be on the phone two or three or four hours. The goal was in those situations to keep them alive for a while and to make an arrangement. Listen, why don't you call me back in a couple of hours? For those of you that know, when someone is contemplating suicide, typically it's, it's a crisis event right now. And if you can get them to commit to staying alive for three or four hours later, if they will do that, they will get past the crisis. It's an emotional crisis thing that just builds up and all of a sudden it's got to be dealt with. And I learned that the hard way and what I've done is, and I've just made myself available. It was never convenient. It was never enjoyable. It was never what I wanted to do. But it was always, always rewarding. I usually never met these people again. I heard from them because, I, like I said, I always pressed them to call me back in two hours. They almost always did. And they would say thank you. Because after just a few hours, the crisis had passed. They collected their thoughts. Somebody had been there, something like that. The point is, sometimes if God's going to use you, you just have to get up. And you have to get involved and jump in. And it doesn't mean you know what you're doing. And it doesn't mean it's going to be enjoyable. And it surely doesn't mean you're going to feel good. What it means is you make yourself available to God. We have gotten this idea that everything about this life is about me feeling good. And folks, you're going to miss out on so many things if the only thing you do is that which makes you feel good. What you have to do to follow Jesus. If you want to be a part of the way God works, you just have to make yourself available and sometimes do the inconvenient. You will lose sleep sometimes. You will lose money sometimes. You will lose time almost always. But it's always worth it. The women wasted their money on spices, didn't they? Those spices were expensive. What they took was several days' wages to get there and, and wrap a body proper. It was a big deal. They didn't use those spices, but I'm sure they didn't waste them. You see, they made themselves available. If you want God to work within you, God requires your time, 
It's not like you have to earn his love or anything like it. That's not what we're talking about. You just have to make yourself available so he can work in you and through you. Who were the first people who saw the resurrected Jesus? These same women. Remember, Jesus appeared to them on the road back to the disciples. They were the first ones. No one beat them to the punch on that one. For the rest of their lives, they knew that they were there. And they got to tell everybody. Another thing. God's moves may surprise you. God almost never does what you think he's going to do. Once in a while you can predict it, but God has this way about him. His desires are different than yours. His ways of working are different than yours. His goals and agendas are different than yours. What you have to do is just get involved and see what happens. If you're a control freak, and I'm not a control freak, I just like everything to go my way. I'm not a freak about it. I just want everything that work my way. That's it. And I've learned that I cannot get God to do anything my way. He blesses me. He does things. He does incredible things. Money never does it my way. But he gets it done. A couple of examples. I've always wanted to start, and this is crazy, but I always thought it would be fun to be a pastor of an African-American church. Right? Not going to happen. And I, you know, it just doesn't work for me. My style isn't theirs, etc. And yet, God has brought an African-American church who meets in our building right now, in the other end of our building. And I'm a part of that ministry. I'm not intimately involved, but I'm part of it. I meet with the pastor on a regular basis. We talk about ministry. He's become a good friend. I never anticipated something like that. In a similar vein, when I came here as pastor, I told my wife, and this is 15 years ago now, if after 10 or 12 years we've done nothing with the Hispanic community, I'm going to consider myself a failure. Well, I don't speak the language. I don't play the music. I have no contact with the Latino community. And yet, out of nowhere, literally, just a few months ago, a Spanish-speaking pastor came and said, Listen, we need a place to meet. Can you work something out? And they meet in our basement four times a week now. They're larger than we are as a church. I never anticipated that. I don't have to speak the language. I didn't have to find them. They found me. And all I have to do is work with them to allow them to use our building. And many of you are part of that. And, and I appreciate the fact that the church is willing to do that. And literally out of nowhere, God did something that I could not have anticipated or expected. Because that's not what I thought. I thought that I would have to preach somewhere and I would have to learn the language and I would have to do certain things because that's the way I was taught. God did something completely different. I could go on and on with God doing things the way he chooses. God may not work in your life the way you choose. His plans are different. His ways are different. His agenda may be different than yours. You may end up where you want or not. You may end up in the life that you want. I had a friend who was a missionary, and I kid you not, he was stationed in Hawaii. Terrible. He said, you've heard these stories about Hawaii as paradise? He goes, it's right. It's paradise. And he loved it. He was there for 11 years of his life. His kids grew up there. He loved it. He loved the people. He loved the ocean. He swam. He surfed, blah, blah, blah. And then God called him to St. Louis. 
He didn't know what in the world was going on. But it was where he needed to be at the time. God's ways are different. Maybe not what you want, but always worth it. One other thing, you can see this on screen. When God works, things change. Just the way it is, folks. You will not stay the same if you follow God. God will change you. He will change your heart. Sometimes he will change the way you talk. He will change the way you think. He will change relationships that you thought were fine. He will change situations that suited you just right. Just like my friend who was a pastor, a missionary in Honolulu. He loved it. Wanted to retire there and die in the ocean and all those things. He followed Jesus to St. Louis. God changes things. He will change you. If you think you're a finished product, just follow Jesus and see what happens. He will change your heart. That's the first thing he changes. He begins to change your heart. And then when he changes your heart, then he begins to change you. Remember, that's what the scriptures teach. Whatsoever a man thinketh, so he is. When God changes your heart and God's word gets a hold of you, he starts to change your attitudes and your value system. And the things that are important aren't so important anymore. And the things that you never thought about become the value system that drives you. And I've never heard anyone say, I liked it the other way better. I've never heard that before. I've heard people say following Jesus can be hard. I've heard people say that following Jesus has cost them so much. But I've never heard anyone say those things with regret. When you move towards God, things change. Your life will change. You will change. Always for the better. Man sinned against God in the beginning. You remember the story at creation. Everything was wonderful. God's plans worked that way. And then what happened? Well, you know. We messed it up. Our collective guilt drug us away from God. Adam did what we do. He is representative of us all, isn't he? He shot his mouth off. He did something wrong. He acted in a way that was impulsive and ignored God's lead. And he suffered the consequences. And that's our model that we follow, isn't it? We sin. And we mess things up. And for centuries, God worked through the Old Testament system to bring us back. And finally, when he realized we were too stubborn, too resistant, too bullheaded, too closed-minded to fix ourselves... Jesus came. He lived. He taught. He healed. He died. It is finished, he said. And then he lives again. And here we are. And friends, that's the rest of the story, isn't it? Jesus lived. Jesus died. Thousands of years in between then and now. And today we celebrate resurrection of Jesus. This is the way God moves. He works in history to change and give us new life. Let me encourage you to follow Jesus. Receive him as Savior. Make those commitments. Get up. Make those moves where God can work and live and change in your life. And see what God's going to do. And importantly, 
Bring friends. That's the goal. The two women were said, listen, go tell your friends. The disciples gathered, and after they got their acts together, they told friends. This is the way God works. Choose to be a part of the way God works. One of the things that God wants us to do when we gather is to share a meal. We call it communion, the Lord's Supper. It could be so many things. Sometimes it's casual, sometimes it's very liturgical. It's pretty casual here. When we do this meal that Jesus commanded, what we're doing is celebrating resurrection. Death, burial, resurrection to new life. Jesus said, when you get together, when you break their bed, remember my body hung on the cross. When you drink the wine, remember my blood shed for you. Jesus did that because he knows that we get busy. We forget. Or we just quit thinking about it. We think about happy thoughts and all those kinds of things. And sometimes we need to be reminded that there is a reason that God works and moves within us. And it's not because we're good people. It's because Jesus has changed everything. I'm going to ask that the deacons come and get in their place. Because of the pandemic and all those things, what we do, for those of you who haven't been a part of it, we do it a little bit different now. In just a moment, I'll lead you in a word of prayer, then I'll have you stand, and you'll come down and just make your way down through the aisles and get a cup, and the cup is a tear-off. It's got one layer with a little wafer and then another layer with the juice. Just take that cup and go back to your seat and be seated, and when everybody's got their cup and is seated, I'll lead you in the meal, all right? So why don't you stand with me, if you would. The requirements are you follow Jesus. It is proclamation. This is what I believe. But it is also invitation. If you want to follow Jesus, begin today. Pray with me, please. Father, again, we thank you for your presence and for this life we have in Jesus. We thank you for the crucifixion, for your payment for our sin. Thank you, Father, for your sacrifice. And today we thank you for this resurrection, the demonstration of your power over sin and death, giving us hope in this life and in the life to come. Thank you, Father. We follow you and you alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Paul wasn't there at the Last Supper, but Jesus appeared to him and told him the story. This is his account. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Paul continues the story. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And then he finishes, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You don't earn the right to take that meal it's not reserved for the good people. It's for all who would follow Jesus, you and me, regardless of color or crime or creed or anything like that. 
All those things become irrelevant because in Jesus we are all one and the same sinners asking resurrected Christ to save us. Let me challenge you. Follow Jesus. You'll never regret it. Nate's going to lead us in a closing hymn of invitation. If there's some kind of decision you need to make this morning, let me encourage you, make it in a way that will allow God to get involved in your life and begin to move in you and through you. If you'd like to make that public, you can come forward if you'd like to. Nate, would you stand with me as he leads us? of your Son has given us new life and renewed hope. Help us to live as new people in pursuit of the Christian ideal. Grant us wisdom to know what we must do, the will to do it, the courage to undertake it, the perseverance to continue to do it, and the strength to complete it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.